Welcome to Travels in the Mathematical World, a podcast from the Institute of Mathematics and its Applications, the IMA. My name is Peter Ollett. This is episode 10. 10 is both a triangular number and a tetrahedral number. This week on the podcast is the second of two instalments from Dr. Adrian Bowyer, who talks through some of the areas his career has taken him to. And then uh, we decided in this department to start moving in a biological direction, which is a fairly radical thing for engineers to do. And we set up uh, a biomimetics section headed by my colleague Julian Vincent, who's a professor of biomimetics, and he's a biologist. And as far as I'm aware, he was the first biologist to be appointed as a professor in an engineering department. And his remit, and I was working with him and other colleagues, uh, was to take things that have evolved in nature and to apply them in engineering. And there are lots of practical successes where this has been done in the past. The one with which most people are familiar is Velcro, of course. Velcro was originally invented by a guy called George de Mistral, and he based it on the fact that uh, burrs attached both to his clothing and to his dog's coat uh, when he was out for a walk one day, and he thought, ah, we can use this to make an attachment mechanism that will replace the zip fastener. And he did, and it was a great success, of course. Um, But You've got three and a half billion years of evolution and millions and millions of animal, plant, bacterial, fungal species on the planet, all of which are continually solving engineering problems as a result of having evolved to survive. You can take that engineering from the natural world and apply it in all sorts of ways in uh, the artificial engineered world, and that's what we were doing. And after we've been doing that uh, for a few years, looking at such things, for example, as the structure of wood and how the fibres in wood, uh, which, are bo- which are made of an extremely unpromising material structurally, uh, cellulose, which is rather brittle, uh, glued together by another very unpromising material, uh, lignin, which is also very brittle, nonetheless make a, a, a material which is structurally very useful to the tree, um, which is certainly not brittle, you break a piece of wood, it doesn't break in a brittle manner at all. That lack of brittleness is entirely down to the geometrical way in which the fibres are laid down by the tree and the lignin is used to glue them together. Um, and we can mimic that, and we've made artificial woods uh, using glass fibre and resin as the equivalent of those two materials, and they too turn out to be extremely tough. By tough, I mean they have a very high amount of energy absorption required in order to, uh, to damage them. They're very proof against attack, for want of a better way of putting it. Anyway, we did that for a number of years. And then uh, I came up with this idea of building a machine that was able to copy itself and also make useful goods. Um, The machine itself uh, was going to be based on something that was already commercially available, indeed has been for decades, uh, which is rapid prototyping technology sometimes called layered manufacture, additive fabrication. There are a number of different words for this. But the fundamental idea is is always the same, in that instead of chopping up, for example, a piece of metal in order to make something that you want, uh, what you do is you build what you want in layers, uh, starting at the bottom and gradually working your way to the top. And the great advantage that you get when you do that is that you always have access, unfettered access, to the topmost layer that you've currently got to, which means that you don't have any problems in figuring out how to move whatever devices that's depositing the layer around. You can move it any way you like. That's not a luxury that's afforded to you when you're cutting pieces of metal. There, the problem of how you move 
the device that's doing the cutting is a significant and difficult one to solve. So these additive manufacturing techniques allow you to build an enormous range of geometrical shapes of arbitrary complexity uh, with very little effort at all, just straight from a computer description. And it occurred to me that you could make one of these additive fabrication machines that was able to make the vast majority of its own component parts. Not quite all of them, but the majority of it. And so you'd have a self-replicating machine. It wouldn't put itself together, but people are quite good at putting things together. They don't have any difficulty with that. Well, flat-pack furniture sometimes gives some people a bit of difficulty, but um, in general, uh, it's a fairly straightforward thing for people to bolt part A onto part B, uh, particularly if there's labels saying A and B on them, uh, which the machine, of course, can easily superimpose. And so you have a sort of symbiosis going on between people and the machine. The machine is capable of copying itself in the terms of making its own parts. The person helps it to put them together, so the person's helping it to reproduce. Uh, why should people bother to do this? Well, of course, because the machine is giving them a reward. It's capable of making far more than itself. It's also capable of making useful goods for those people. And so you have a situation between two replicators, the machine and people, which is rather analogous to the symbiosis between, for example, the flowering plants and the insects. The flowers require the insects to pollinate them because they couldn't reproduce without the assistance of the insects. And so they give the insects a reward, nectar, for visiting them in order to assist with their pollination. And this is a symbiosis that has benefited both species uh, for 140 million years or so. It evolved in the late Jurassic. So um, my self-replicating machine, which incidentally is called RepRap, Replicating Rapid Prototyper, short form, uh, my self-replicating machine is supposed to engage in a similar symbiosis with people. Uh, the people get the reward, the goods the machine produces, uh, the people help it to reproduce, they take the role of the insects, and the machine takes the role of the flowers. And it seemed to me that this being a stable organisation and, and uh, arrangement in nature might also turn into a stable arrangement with human beings in this machine. And that project has been running for a few years now. Um, uh, it's an open source, uh, stroke free software project. Uh, we're giving the results away, because when you have a machine that copies itself, you can't sell it, because you only ever sell one. Um, and if you try to protect it, of course, by patenting and so on, what you're basically saying is that you want to spend the rest of your life in court trying to prevent people doing with the device the one thing that it was intended to do. So that seemed to me a bit of a waste of time as well. So we're giving it all away. And um, as I say, that's now turned into an international project with many volunteers working on different aspects of the design, both the software and the hardware. Um, and it's becoming quite a success. And uh, a number of people have been kind enough to say that they think it's a rather significant development in the terms of uh, the human economy and how people might go about making things in the future. Uh, the idea that instead of going to Boots to buy a comb, you might instead download a comb off the web and ask your machine to print it, uh, strikes many people as being an attractive proposition, particularly when going out implies going out in the rain, um, and also implies spending money, uh, whereas if you make things yourself, by and large, you don't have to spend money except on the raw materials, which typically are much, much cheaper. So uh, that is what I'm currently working on, and that brings us up to date. What's the raw material? Here? Uh, that is ABS, which is the Lego brick plastic. Oh, right. um, that happens to be the material this, the, 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 the commercial machine uses that, that makes these things. We're actually using a different raw material. Uh, we're using a material called polylactic acid, uh, which has roughly similar mechanical properties to ABS, but has the great advantage that you can make it by fermentation from starch. And 
What that means, of course, is that you don't only have a self-reproducing machine, you have a self-reproducing source of raw materials as well, yes. if you've got a few square metres of land on which to grow a starch crop. Mm. So you have a plastic which you can make yourself from plants which you can grow yourself, you have a machine which can copy itself, so you can be completely self-sufficient, mm. both in terms of raw material and the ability to manufacture what you want. Not only that, polylactic acid is biodegradable, so when you make junk on your replicating rapid prototyping machine, um, which people will, of course, human nature being what it is, uh, when you get fed up with that junk or when you, things break, you just throw them on your compost heap and six months later you can dig them back into a starch crop. And you've got an entirely local recycling route with no trucks going up and down the motorway, either delivering your goods or taking those goods away when you finish with them. I hope you enjoyed listening to that. If you missed it, you can listen to the first part of Adrian's podcast is episode 9 which you can get with more information about the podcast at www.travelsinamathematicalworld.co.uk Thank you for listening.